My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Every time it looks like they're done selling, they come right back. Every time you get comfortable, some sector crushes you. Tech Wednesday, industrials yesterday, energy today. It is brutal, and it is completely exhausting. And that's how I feel about this market. Well, we got some temporary relief today, even as the Dow ended up dipping 38 points. S&P advanced 0.22%, and the NASDAQ finally rallied a little, up 1.43%. Oh, today was a roller coaster as usual. We started strong, then got hit hard by sellers in the middle of the morning, right as we were doing our morning meeting call for the CMC Investing Club. As usual, it began at 10.20 a.m., and the market had been looking really good when Jeff Marks and I prepped for our 10-minute show. But by the time we started, the averages were beginning to get crushed. And when we finished our 10-minute show... The market rolled over entirely. That moment led to a tremendous amount of towel throwing by what I call the dip sellers new group. The beleaguered and depressed investors who can no longer take the pain, so they just dump everything into any weakness because it just hurts too much. But once they're done, the only sellers we had left were the ones swung away the oils, which is what you'd expect with crude down more than seven bucks. By the way, that's very positive because lower oil prices are the most visible sign that we're actually making some progress in the fight against inflation. That led the averages to rebound, a rebound that even allowed Adobe to erase most of its decline after last night's allegedly disappointing forecast. Of course, then we dipped again near the close because this is a very tough moment. Nobody likes going along into a three-day weekend these days. Today's rebound even encompassed big tech, which has been one of the worst groups out there, while ditching the oils all day. Good news for Jay Powell. He needs the win because, you know what, he's going to Congress next week to answer questions from the House and Senate. Powell needs to say something positive about the downtick in oil, as it's the largest and most visible source of inflation. Longer term, I don't really think the price of oil can stay down unless you get a peace deal in Ukraine and Russian crude starts flowing back to the West. That's why I like the oil stock so much on weakness. We even did some more buying of the high-yielding oils from my charitable trust. You can follow by joining the CBC Investing Club. I know the White House likes to whine about the oil industry, but they don't have enough votes in Congress to do anything punitive. You should join up and see which ones we think are right right now. Now, I figure when Powell is on the Hill, he'll just reiterate what he said at the press conference over this week. I hope he sticks by his decision to stamp out inflation by any means necessary, even to the point of causing lots of layoffs. But I know he'll take a lot of heat on that in the House. We're now entering the roughest part of any Fed chairman's job, where he has to outright admit that he's prioritizing the fight against inflation over job creation. That is never an easy pill to swallow for public servants. Of course, others will pummel him for being too late in his efforts to hit the brakes in the economy. There's just no winning for Powell right now. He has to accept his pinata status until we get some inflation relief in the form of softer numbers all around. He especially needs to see oil keep coming down, although, like I said before, I doubt that's in the cards. Markets should be closed Monday in commemoration of Juneteenth, when the last of America's slaves were freed in Texas. Amazing. It took two months after the Civil War was over. A disgrace that we must commemorate and remember. Tuesday, we get results from Lennar, the big home builder. 
This sector has been rolling over for months thanks to higher mortgage rates, but it hasn't suffered much in terms of stock downgrades, buys to holds. This morning, though, Toll Brothers finally got hit with a downgrade after having already fallen 45% from its highs. I think the bear case is still alive and well, though. The cost per home is too high, and I wouldn't be surprised if the analysts take this opportunity to downgrade Lynn R2. Now, the most controversial home builder out there of all is KB Home. Because it has the lowest price earnings multiple in the entire S&P 500. It sells for a little more than two times earnings. Now, of course, that means that, well, usually means that the estimates are way too high. I don't want to speculate, but if Lenard doesn't go down after Rio, after reports, I'm going to tell you it'll give you a green light to buy some KB on Wednesday because it might really be the bottom for that stock. Hey, speaking of Wednesday, we need to tune in to a company called Corn Ferry. Now, I haven't cared much about this executive recruiting company for ages because it's delivered a slew of good numbers and nobody seems to care. But now we have to see if there's turnover everywhere, including at the top. Right now, every single portion of this labor force is starting to feel the heat of J-PAL's wrath. And I want to know if they even realize it. Corn Ferry can shed some light on the subject. Plus, more important, they have tremendous compensation surveys. The Fed won't stop tightening until we see weakness across the board, including wages at the executive suite. If we don't hear of any weakness, then you know pal's still got a longer way to go than we think. Thursday's chock full of big name reports, starting with Darden, parent of Olive Garden and Capital Grill. This stock's been hit with multiple price target downgrades. Uh, however, no actual downgrades. And that's what matters. Remember, there's a price at which Darden represents real value, although we might not be there yet. I expect a disappointment because of food and labor inflation coupled with an increasingly cash-strapped consumer. When I used to interview Darden's old CEO, he always said the business was sensitive to oil prices. If that's the case, downgrade city. After the close on Thursday, we hear from FedEx, which rallied nicely today, as it did all week. The shipping company has changed up management, announced a sizable dividend increase, and added three board members because of activist pressure. I don't expect a good quarter, though, so maybe it takes some profits going into the print. However, I do want to get FedEx's read on e-commerce. Is it still alive and well? Well, the aforementioned Adobe said it was. Remember, they reported a good number, they gave a good outlook, and a lot of people felt that that was just way too bullish. The analysts are skeptical now, but where the heck were they skeptical on Adobe when the stock was at 700? They get skeptical of 350? Sorry, cut in half. You got to get bullish. Finally, CarMax reports on Friday. Given that we're now on week number watch, a used car chain like CarMax can play an outsized role. Sorry for CarMax shareholders, but the market bulls need a disappointment. We also want to hear, get this, about repossessions. We haven't heard that term in ages. Crucial front in the war against inflation. Unfortunately, I think we're st- we've still got a car shortage because of supply chain problems. So CarMax will likely have a decent but not great set of numbers. There just aren't enough vehicles to sell. So many things going wrong at once. I don't like having to root for disappointing earnings. But now that Jay Powell has made it clear he can only fight inflation by tamping down on, every, on demand for everything, well, that's what needs to happen. The bottom line, until we see a pattern of higher unemployment, lower consumer spending, and lower oil prices, just presume that you need to sell stocks into any rally because the Fed's going to make sure those rallies are temporary. That said, I think the economy's already weakened substantially here, so the pain might be over faster than you'd expect. Let's go to Steve in New York. Steve. Hi, Jim. How are you? Uh, long week, Steve. How are you doing? Definitely, I know. I'm doing great. Thank you, Jim. Good. Um, thank, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for taking my call. And thanks sure. for how hard you try for everyone, especially in these challenges. challenges yes, time. thank you, man. Sure trying. Let's go to work. Okay, my question is on Kohl's. Since June 6th, for a period of about three weeks approximately, Frontier Group, which is an owner of Vitamin Shop, 
Pet Supplies Plus, and other retail brands, has been in exclusive talks with Coles to buy them for $60 a share. Do you think this deal is going to go through? And if not, do you think another company will buy Coles? Well, not do you think Coles on its own is good to own at this time? It has a PDA okay, I, I don't really through. like retail here. Um, Coles is down a lot. If there's a deal, it would surprise me, I admit. Um, I'm uncomfortable owning anything when Target keeps going down, and that's the premier large box retailer. I am reluctant to own Coles. That's just the way I feel. Let's go to Katie in Florida. Katie. Hi, Kramer. This is Katie Jaramillo from Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Nice. So I bought a line technology ticker ALGN when it was bueno, bonito, and barato. I bought it at $202 a share. Then not too long after that, it went up to $737 a share. And I was up $20,000. But now it's back down, and it's barato and no aso bueno. Right, right. You yeah. know, some, you know, Katie, I was going over with Jeff Marks. We were looking at our oil stocks. We were up so huge. We gave back big gains. And I want you to know you're not alone, okay? This is what's happened in this market. You did the right thing. You're thinking long-term, and because you weren't short-term, you didn't take that profit. What I'll advise you is this. As a line goes back up because it's not an expensive stock, trim it some. Trim some. Be, be happy with a $2,000 gain instead of a twenty. We all have to do this together. I soul-searched it every minute. How did I let such a big game give, big gain go in such and such a stock? But I don't think short-term. And we have to be in this together and make sure we take some profits and let the rest run. And then we won't feel this way. Troy in North Carolina. Troy. Hey, Jim. Booyah from North Carolina. Booyah back. I want to go to North Carolina. A lot of good business there. I want to go see Tepper's uh, Panthers. Well, I, I, hope, uh, I like Tepper, have a good not the season this year. <laughs> eh, you know, got to make some changes. What's up? I uh, just uh, want to ask you real quick about uh, a stock with a 6% Four uh, percent yields and six times earnings. Uh, Intel is it okay to nibble here, or is it got further to drop? Well, I mean, I, you know, the semis are bad. When I saw what happened with Advanced Micro, where the stock was at ninety six a week ago, and now it's at eighty, I can't count this buying Intel because AMD is taking it to Intel. There'll come a moment, but right now, uh, right now that group is so ugly. Well, let's see what Qualcomm says. That will help us decide. All right. Every time it looks like they're done selling, they come right back. Until we see higher unemployment, lower consumer spending, and lower oil prices, just presume that rallies need to be sold. But maybe we get to the good part sooner than you think. On Mad Money tonight, energy stocks been stuck in a rut, but could a fight a flight to utilities help electrify the stock? You know, I like the utes. I'm going to talk to the CEO. Then, in the face of volatility, one of the most important strategies is to be diversified. So we are playing a very hard game of am I diversified to see if your portfolio passes the test. And as I just mentioned, Qualcomm stock has been under pressure this week, but is the company under pressure? I'm getting to the bottom of the recent action with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Whenever 
Everybody's worried about a recession. The Wall Street playbook says you need to hide in utilities because they tend to have high dividends and their businesses are more or less immune to an economic slowdown. While the utilities are down for the year, they're also the second best performing group in the market. Just the tape has been so ugly, hasn't it? <laughs> hard, to, hard to take. But many of these could be worth buying on weakness, like Entergy. The New Orleans-based utility providing gas and electric service to 3 million customers in Deep South, a lot of industrials. This stock was up 8% for the year as recently as 10 days ago, but those gains have been wiped out by the latest market-wide meltdown. No kidding. Take a look at the energy stocks. And energy is now down roughly 9% for the year. But yesterday they held an analyst day here in New York City. Well, I thought they told some great things. They ignited some enthusiasm. I think it works. Steady growth, cheap stock, nearly 4% yield. Don't take it from me, though. Let's check in with Leo Denault, who's made us a lot of money if you've been following the whole time he's been on. He's the chairman and CEO of Energy to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Denault, welcome back to Mad Money. Glad to be here. Okay, so, Leo, this meeting, I thought, was really incredible because you covered three different things. You covered the idea that you have a fantastic base. It's probably the best-growing base in our country. You talked about making resilient energy, which means being able to do all sorts of different kinds of energies, but I think that what you really talked about that I love was the commitments that you've made, both yeah. to the people but also to the environment. I don't hear a lot of utilities doing what you say. It was just an extraordinary performance. Which of these are the most important? How do you rank them? Well, it's really difficult because um, to rank them. Right. Because they're all important and they're all, they all work together. And, and they're not only important to us, but they're really important to the, to the country um, and even the world today with everything that's going on geopolitically and and the like, but we've got, as you said, build a resilient system. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of investment, particularly yeah. as we have more frequent and more severe weather activity across the globe. We've got to protect the system from that. And the system that we're protecting is some of the most important industries in the world along the Gulf Coast right. that are going to have to not only supply the United States, but now ever increasingly going to have to fill the gap in the rest of the world. Yeah, you, had a, you had a, a, I never, ever would ever, had, excuse me, you had a slide about how we need this because of Russia. Correct, correct. <laughs> you tell well, it if you true. think about, about Russia exporting oil and gas to Europe, now they're turning to the United States and they're turning to the Gulf Coast. You. LNG exports, the commodities that we export, the difference in the commodity mix between what the price of natural gas is here versus what it is in Europe. There's a lot of opportunities for us to actually fill that gap right. to supply the world with the opportunities that we have here in the United States. And those are all gotta, our customers. Yeah, but at the same time, you've got to keep costs down. Correct, correct. And now, a lot of people I hear yapping on TV saying that the electric bill is going to get out of control. I read what you're doing. It doesn't seem to be the case. Well, we start with some of the lowest rates in the United States right. already. And we've had some additions to the bill because of the storms that we had, Hurricane Laura, Hurricane Ida, that have actually created some pressure on customers' bills. High gas prices have created pressure on customers' bills. And over the last decade, we've done a really good job of trying to make our product more affordable as a percentage of our customers' wallet. So we need to continue to do as much as we can to alleviate that pressure. The investments we make, lower cost. Load growth, which we have a significant amount of that because of those industrial customers. Fastest growing, you're the fastest growing part of the country. Exactly. About 6% sales growth on our part because those commodities that people make, whether it's chloralkali, whether it's steel, whether it's LNG, the mix of fundamentals for them right now are as good as they've ever been. Right. And so they're growing. We've got to keep up. But that load growth also helps relieve some of the pressure on the rest of the people's bills. But you had another slide which showed that I don't think people realize a lot of your uh, the uh, factories were really knocked out. Are they back online? I mean, it's been a yeah. long time. Yes, yes, they're back online. And as I said, the fundamentals near and long term are 
really, really strong, as good as they've ever been. If you think about LNG, for example, I think today natural gas, national balancing point is like $28. Right. Well, it's seven or eight here, which is pretty high, but that's a pretty big spread. Right. And so that, what we're seeing from a lot of our customers is their investment decisions. They're actually trying to move up, which is unique given that the rest of the country is talking about a recession. Right. But a lot of our customers are talking about how can we make our investments come sooner than they otherwise would because there's these gaps that we need to fill and we need to be able to fill them not only for our domestic markets, but international markets. Now, you well. spent a lot of time talking about solar, but there was one moment where you actually talked about expanding a nuke facility. Is there hope for nuclear power? Well, there is. There's a great hope for nuclear power, and the existing nuclear power plants need to continue to operate. Right. The country can't decarbonize without its existing nuclear fleet. It just simply can't. We could be like Germany. Um, well, they're thinking about that again now. <laughs> right. and, and, and I think we've got to preserve them, but we can also continue to operate those facilities. And our customers are asking us for a more carbon-free product. Right. And we've got this significant amount of capacity already in the nuclear space that's carbon-free. And politically, that started to become a much more acceptable right. um, part of the process. Even the administration, Department of Energy are all trying to make sure we save these existing... But what nuclear. I found amazing when I went over everything you, you talked about, I've never, you know, Entergy is a good company. It was a utility, but now it's a geopolitical force yeah. that has every, that must keep costs down in an area where people, costs are going up, and with an LNG facility that the world is now depending on. This is not what Leo got into when he started well, working yeah, at Energy. That, the, the geopolitical significance is, is, is certainly something Huge. that we're going to take really seriously, but it's also the most unique decarbonization story right. in America. Because if you look at the carbon footprint of our customers, it's pretty significant. If you were to rank them as states, our customers alone, just the energy industrial customers, would be the second largest emitting state in the country. Well, they all have decarbonization objectives. Oh. And that's why they're turning to us for our nuclear power and the more renewables. And they're willing to, to work with us in ways to be able to provide products and services to them to get them that clean energy as you, they grow. Right. And, you, you know, you raise your, you, you raise your uh, growth outlook. I mean, it's really extraordinary. I, I think yeah. this is a great opportunity for energy. It really we're, is. We're in a really good position to where you're always planning your, your business around what happens if things don't go the right. way I think. And today, we've got to put as much effort into what if they go better than we think yeah. as we do into what if they don't go the way we think. Well, we're ready to manage either one of those. Obviously, I know which one I would rather have. Well, you are among the two or three greatest growth utilities in the country. I'm really glad you came on the show. If you want to know this, this was the best, we call them decks, but it was the best presentation I've seen in a very long time. That's Leo Zanoli. He's the chairman and CEO of Entergy, one of my absolute favorite utilities. They have money back into the price. Coming up, master the unknowns. Be ready for any market. Another edition of Am I Diversified is coming up next. All right, we're in a brutal market right now where the oil, natural gas go up or down, tech goes up. It's really crazy. You don't need me to tell you that. We can all feel it. The volatility is enough to make your head spin. But fortunately, we have strategies to protect against these crazy market swings. And one of the strategies is diversification, which can be painful when one of your sectors goes down, but the others might be better. So tonight, we're going to play a little game of Am I Diversified? Just when you call me, you tell me your top five holdings. I tell you if your portfolio is diversified enough, hey, maybe you need to mix it up a little. Let's jump right in. Let's go to Frank in New York. Frank, you're a first caller. What do you got for me? 
Hello, Jim. This is Frank from Long Island, New York. A big booyah to you. Thank you for all you do and continue to bringing the investment power to the people. Uh, this market, in a word, Jim, brutal. I've been recently stopped out of a lot of my positions. Uh, I've taken some of that capital and redirected it into these five stocks. Chevron, Raytheon, Pfizer, Schlumberger, and Ford. My question to you, Jim, is am I diversified? All right, this is a great question. And Frank's feeling the same thing that I am, which is that I took some profits in some things for my chapel trust. It's not, remember, it's all for charity. And then moved them into some of these oils, and they've been really houses of pain after being tremendous houses of pleasure. But let's go through these. And the reason I mention this is because Chevron and Schlumberger, you can't have them both in a 10-stock portfolio, yes, but not in a 5. So Schlumberger's got to repla- be replaced. And what we're going to do is we can put Humana in there. Now, Frank is a member of the Investing Club, obviously. Humana had unbelievable numbers. We saw uh, Mr. Broussard here was fantastic. Ford has been disappointing because of warranties, but also because of a true belief, true belief that that is the last thing you buy going into recession. I think it's cheap enough right now. You can buy it. It's got a good yield. Pfizer didn't move at all in this good news today, but it does uh, about being able to give people, um, even the littlest people, like six months old. Uh, you know, the, uh, the vaccine, it didn't move the stock, though. Raytheon is terrific. Hayes is doing great. It's defense. So we got to get rid of an oil. We can keep the auto. We can keep the drug and we can keep the defense. Uh, I can't have two of anything because look what happened with the oils. You, if you don't if you had just oils today, you gave up. You gave up your whole year. OK, so now let's go to Zach in Minnesota. Zach. Hi, Mr. Jim. This is Zach coming to you from beautiful Apple Valley, Minnesota. I hope you're doing well. Now, long ago, one of my uncles said, Zach, rich people do not work for their money. They make their money work for them. So with that in mind, and after a little trial and error with investment strategies, I've decided to just go with what you've been preaching for so long now and get safe stocks with a high dividend yield. I have a few others, but my top five are number one, Whirlpool. Number two, Marathon Petroleum Company, MPC, to get some exposure into the refining area. Uh, number three, got Devon Energy for the drilling and exploration. Number four, have Aris Capital Credit, ARCC. And number five, IBM, which is a position that I'd like to add more to, just waiting for it to go down a little bit more. So I ask you, Mr. Jim, am I diversified? Thank you so much for your time and take care. So thoughtful. So thoughtful. Um Okay, so this is one of those companies, I talked about this earlier, it's an investment company, I don't know what they own, which is why I've historically stayed away from them. I'd rather just own a plain old bank, okay? Because they do well when rates go lower, so I think that that's what to go. And I like Wells Fargo down here. It's got the best leverage, and it's got so many things going for it, and it's almost at its low. Uh, IBM, I understand the desire because it's got a good yield. We don't know how it's doing. We had a pretty good quarter last time, and just stock's been holding up. That's all I can really say about it because it's not on fire. Marathon, Pete, uh, the president's after the refiners now, but they are making so much money, and I don't think you can really do anything. Devin, we've owned forever for the investing club. You can say, well, wait a second. Can you own this and this? Right now, you can't. That's the problem. So you're going to swap out 
We're going to swap out Marathon Pete, and we're going to go right again to Humana because we know that the quarter was good. They just reported. And then Whirlpool, I talked about it last night. They've got 5% yield, uh, and it's related to housing. Nobody wants housing, but they've got that European division that's worth half the company. They'll buy back the rest of the stock. I like this portfolio because it's home. Now we got health. we got oil. We're going to put a bank in, and we've got tech. Boy, is it a complicated time, though. That's why we have to play this game. It's more complicated than ever. It's not even a game anymore. We got Frank in New York. Of course, that is our friend, second Frank. Frank in New York. Frank. Hi, Jim. It's Frank from Hampton Bays. I have a number of dividend stocks, and I wanted your opinion on uh, buy, hold, or sell on these. Con Ed, Duke Energy, Pfizer, MetLife, and Kinder Morgan. Am I diversified? Amazing. Our executive producer, Regina Gilgan, is also from Hampton Bays. Uh, and I imagine these, you'll see them at the uh, cow, whatever. Cowfish. Cowfish. All right. Let's go over this. All right. So Con Ed and Duke are two, are two alike, even though they're both high yield. I would have put, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, I, I actually like American Electric Power better than both of them, but that's okay. Um, we will, I am so addicted to healthcare now. I'm, I have to put a new one in. Is people going to say, wait a second, Jimmy, you couldn't keep using Humana? But we have Pfizer, so maybe that'll count. Use that as a drug. MetLife is insured. They're fine. Kinder Morgan's doing really, really well. I used to dislike them because they changed their, their structure, but now they're back. They're doing well. And so this portfolio, I like that Raytheon because I do think defense is going to stay good. Let's add that one in, and I think we'll be fine. I, remember, we really got to be diversified now because it is just treacherous out there. Let's go to Karen in New York. Karen. Hi, Jim. This is Karen from New York. Am I diversified? My five stocks are Microsoft, Exelon, Qualcomm, Eaton, and Johnson Controls. Thank you. Am I diversified? Wow. That's interesting. First tech. Remember, all, IBM's old tech. First tech. Johnson Controls, good. It, it, look, it's a good industrial. It's not a great industrial. We're going to have to swap out uh, because we have Eaton, which is a good well, Eaton got crushed yesterday for no reason whatsoever. We'll keep that industrial. We're going to trade out Johnson Controls. That's what, once again, we're going to sub healthcare. I'm going to put J&J in there. Johnson Controls, no. Johnson, Johnson, yes. Uh, Qualcomm and Microsoft can't own both of those. That's proving to be too hard. I like them both. We own them both for the trust. Um, eh, what can I say? We need to do healthcare. I'll put in UNH, so a little variety there versus Humana. And then Exelon's a fine utility. That's fine. Utility, tech, we just swapped out, put some health care in. Uh, oh, darn it. We can't do that. J&J, and, no, we have to. Ah, makes me so angry. You know what we're going to do? We're going to do an energy company. Uh, let's do in honor of David's Exxon special, June 22nd at 8 o'clock. David, Exxon, that's what we'll put in. Thank you. I cannot believe this is the hardest game. This is the hardest the game has ever been, people. Because if we do not diversify, this market just blows us, blows us up. Thank you to all our participants. Uh, you know what? Those people should all come here. We should do well now that you're allowed to meet people again. I'd love to do that live. Okay, I mean, you know, here. Okay. And later, there's much more man money head, including my I'm, my head is ringing about how hard that game was. I've been playing it. I've been playing it now for 20 years. Uh, we got exclusive with Qualcomm. We mentioned Qualcomm on the show. After a tough week for stock, like, no kidding. Are investors getting a buying opportunity in the semiconductor kingpin? 
Wow, we got to check with the CEO because that stock was down 10 bucks yesterday. Then we're used to thinking about surprises that could hurt the market, but tonight I'm revealing two scenarios that could actually help this pathetic market. And Oreo calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. I hope that's not as hard as am I diversified. Stay with Kramer. This market has become a charnel house for the semiconductor stocks, even the ones that put up great numbers, because Wall Street's terrified of what will happen to the industry in a recession. I think the punishment has gotten excessive. Tech Qualcomm, the wireless technology titan, and a stock we own for my charitable trust, which you can follow by joining the CBC Investing Club. This thing is now down 38% from its January highs, including a brutal $10 decline yesterday. Or nothing! Some of this is because people are very worried about the mobile market, especially with the Chinese lockdowns causing huge headaches for smartphone manufacturing. Some of it's simple guilt by association. As I see it, Qualcomm doesn't get enough credit for its exposure to the auto industry or the Internet of Things. But nobody wants to hear that right now, even though the last two quarters were sensational. At these levels, the stock sells for just 12 times earnings, 2.5% dividend yield. I think it's cheap. I've been wrong. I think Wall Street's underestimating how much money this company can make, even in a nasty downturn. I think I'm going to be right. But let's not take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Cristiano Amon. He's the president and CEO of Qualcomm. So you can understand why this stock gets cheaper and cheaper as it goes along. Cristiano, help me. Help us. We see the stock go down, down, down. And it makes us think that business has just been shut down at Qualcomm. Is that the case? Good to talk to you, Jim. Look, at the end of the day... All the growth fundamentals of the company remain intact. The company is showing strong execution, operating discipline. Since our earnings call, what we have done, we added Volkswagen uh, to our automotive pipeline. We announced a number of new products across all business, and we completed the acquisition of Cellwise. So at the end of the day, I think we see a lot of opportunities for the Qual- for Qualcomm on auto, on IoT, and in if our mobile business, we're executing well. You know, I, I remind everyone, we are gaining share in, in the OEMs that matter. Samsung, we went from 40% to 75%. And we talked about that last earnings call on the Galaxy S22. Now, Qualcomm uh, says, Qualcomm, expect Qualcomm to be sole source in Samsung GS23, raising estimates. That's KeyBank yesterday. No one, the stock went down 10 points after this, Cristiano. Does that make any sense to you? Look, we're when you look at the stock trading, we're correlating very well with the SOC. Exactly. Uh very, very strong correlation entire year. So we're really, it's, it's, it's really, you know, hard to understand the market right now, but we're really focused on stuff that we can control. And um, at the end of the day, when you think about the mobile market, you said correctly, we're, we're focused in, in, in premium tier. We're focused on share of wallet. We have seen a structural change in the market that benefited Qualcomm, which is gaining share of Samsung and executing on the Huawei uh, SAM. That's all new growth for us. And at the end of the day, automotive and IoT continue to be a strong story for the company. All right, but has China just totally shut down? Are you doing any business in China right now? And will the analysts be disappointed when they see it? We continue to business in China. We have, you know, as you would expect, if you have, you know, a lockdown situation, it's going to impact uh, some of the consumer uh, business and phones. But we have seen how those things bounce back. And what we have been very focused on the China business is to focus on the premium and high tier share wallet across Vivo, Oppo, Xiaomi, Honor. And uh, we we continue to execute on that plan. Now, how about automotive? Any new wins? 
Uh, automotive, it continue to be an exciting story. I just came from Paris uh, uh, in a lot of interesting meetings in Europe. I think the Qualcomm digital chassis is resonating well with this industry. And really, when you think about automotive, we're winning the future of the automotive semiconductor business. Now, how about GM? Because we know that GM is unveiling a series of products that everyone's ignoring it, frankly, Christian, except for the buyers. Uh, I've, my wife has, has sampled some of it, says it's sensational. I know that's one person, but believe me, at this point, I'll take anybody. How is GM doing? GM is actually one of our most strategic customers. We continue to be very close with them. I think the transformation of the automotive industry with technology is amazing, and GM is actually at the forefront of that. Now, I always thought that 5G was secular growth. Now, because of the slowdown in the economies that the Fed, the central banks won, people tell me that's going to hurt 5G, too. Isn't 5G the future and it's kind of unstoppable? I don't understand. I don't understand the comment about 5G and broadband in general. We all know that 5G is actually going to be the last mile technology that will enable the connected economy. I'll just point an example. Google this week talked about now uh, expanding GCP and, and enter the 5G private networks. And, you know, that's an addition to what Microsoft had announced with Azure for operators as well as AWS. There's this belief that the enterprise is going to continue to build 5G. That's why we bought Cellwise, which is a cloud-based solution to add to our silicon. And we're just at the beginning of the 5G ramp. This technology is going to be there for a decade. Now, in the June 1 uh, conversation that you had at Sanford Bernstein, you talked about about Meta, Facebook, virtual reality. No one's giving you any credit for these. Do you have big projects lined up that we're going to be surprised that you're involved in? This is another area when we talk about the growth opportunity for Qualcomm in the future, this is another area that we're just at the very beginning of this, of this growth curve. And Qualcomm continue to announce designs. We have over 40 different designs, and many of those have not yet launched, of virtual reality, augmented reality uh, devices. And you just think about the strength. Connection of physical and digital spaces is going to happen, and that's going to be about digital twins of everything from both consumer and enterprise. And that's going to be a a multi-year growth trajectory as we build the metaverse, which is the beginning of that. Now, your stock is at 120. When you saw saw your last was about 40 points above. Do you have enough? uh, You have a huge amount of cash. You are able to do so many different things. Are there projects you want to do or should you just sit there and buy back as much stock as you'd like because people don't throw away your stock because they don't understand the future? That's a great question. And uh, here's how I'm thinking about this. We have the ability to continue to do opportunistic buyback. But, you know, we are a company that had actually, if and if we have seen opportunities, we had invested to accelerate our growth. So we are now uh, looking in how to preserve our ability to do M&A, because, as you said, maybe maybe there's an opportunity here, given where the market is. Well, Christian, that means you're talking to a lot of people. Uh, you understand, does the gloom surprise you? Because, I mean, you are in the thick of every single growth market. Are you surprised that other CEOs I encountered last week in, uh, in Silicon Valley were very down? You don't sound too down. It's hard for us to predict the future, but it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you two answers, right? The okay. first answer is 
a lot of those technology transitions, uh, they they are the trend is very clear, and some of it is really recession proof. Think about, for example, digital transformation of enterprises with technology. What's driving our industrial IoT business? You do it for growth. You do it for cost reductions. And and the other way to look at this, we are entering some markets which is brand new for Qualcomm, haven't even started. For example, the transition of PCs to ARM. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Satya during the Microsoft build conference announced a project Volterra. They're giving a development platform to the Windows developers with a Qualcomm ARM processor inside for the transition of ARM. We haven't even started that. So I feel, uh, you know, the, we can't really control what the market is, but the technology trends that are driving demand for Qualcomm technologies are still there. Everything is still there. Well, that's why I'm not that negative. All right. I think that at 120, well, what can I say? I told everyone to buy it from my investment club. I am sticking with it. I'm sticking with you, Christian. You have too much in the pipe in the future. I want to thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thank you. Now, I, when I called Christian, I said, you want to come on? He said, absolutely, because he understands the growth of his business, which is multi-year. Maybe not the next eight days, but multi-year. Mad Money's back after the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The chill man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. That's my uncle's worthy. Tim, you're playing this time. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski deck. Time for the lightning round. It's over. Chris in New York. Chris. What's up, Chris? Hey, I'm calling from New York City. I'm a retail investor. I love your show. Thank you. Just wanted, I want to know, where do you think you see AbbVie going the next five to ten years? Okay, AbbVie's got 4% yield. That matters. Uh, they've got, they just started working on the Allergan, uh, on this tremendous Allergan franchise that they bought. And their core drugs are still selling well, and they've got some breakout new products that do better. I think the answer is that AbbVie, which we own big for our channel trust, goes higher. Betsy in California. Betsy. Hey, Jim. Thanks for all you do. I'm a member of the investing club, and I go all the way back to you with Larry Kudlow. And the one thing you and Larry agreed on is when interest rates go high, semis will die. I'm looking at NVIDIA, which was at 346 in November, and it's half that now. Will there ever be a time where it'll be okay to reinvest in this great company? Look, this is a great question. Obviously, when it got to $750 billion, it was you know, too big in retrospect. We did some selling for the club. Uh, that selling was genius, frankly, but in some ways it was just portfolio management. Uh, and then we want to buy back some. Uh, it's growing. It's got a 28 multiple. It's growing at 30 times earnings. Should be uh, should be having like a 60 multiple. That said, you have to buy it gingerly. Why? Because the sellers just come out of the woodwork every time the stock goes up. But I'm with Jensen Wong. I'm not going to walk away. And I'm thinking very, very, very long term because that's the way you've been handling it with Nvidia. So I'm going to say buy. Let's go to Eric in New Jersey. Eric. Booyah! My company is Aegon slash Transamerica, symbol AEG. Very good property casualty company. does very well. Term. It does very, these companies, I like Chubmore. These companies do very well at this particular moment in the cycle. I think you're in a good one. Let's go to Kevin in Michigan. Kevin. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. 
Hey, I'm, uh, thanks for taking my call. I've been watching CNBC, um, Mad Money with my dad uh, ever since then. Ever That's since what we like. That's what we want to hear. Thank you. Got me to the role of finances. Uh, Thank you. I wanted to get your input on uh, ticker symbol RPD. This is Rapid 7. Kind of want to figure out what your input is on it. Well, I, you know, you're not going to like what I have to say. And that it doesn't make money. And uh, we got so many good ones in that industry that do make money. I'm not going for it. I'm sorry. Let's go to Jim in California. Jim. Hey, from the Central Valley in California. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, I'm a first-time caller, and I've been watching Mad Money for years. And I just want to let you know we appreciate your long hours, oh, hard work. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I've been uh, dabbling in stock investing for as long as I've been watching your show. But as of late, we've been feeling the inflation pain, and I've got a couple of questions. Currently, I contribute slightly more than I need to get a company match on my 401k. I think that's right. Any reduction in my biweekly take-home pay now is yet painful with this inflation. Indeed. However, with the, however, with the downward stock price slide across the board, if I can, do you think it wise to max, max contributions now while stocks are cheap? Yeah, and retirement and, is still seven or more years away. And what's and the stock? Question, we, you do need a stock, yes. Yeah, my other question is I had uh, purchased uh, a stock at $15 a share in 2021. It hit 36 Probably should have sold it last week when it was 36 What stock? It's Katera. Okay, Katera. Look, the old Simerex and Cabot. It is terrific. It's down huge. Buy Katera. Okay? Buy it. It's an inexpensive stock with a giant dividend. And that, leisure, the conclusion of Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Right now, everybody's thinking about the next thing that could go wrong for the stock market. We expect more surprises. We just assume there'll be bad ones. We rarely think anymore about what could go right. Look, I don't blame anybody. This market is terrible, but I think thinking like that is a mistake. So tonight, I want to lay out two possible scenarios that could be incredibly bullish for the stock market. The first, and by the way, bullish for the stock market, not necessarily bullish for people. The first involves the war in Ukraine. As time goes on, it's become clear that Russia's got the West over a barrel because they're a huge fossil fuel producer that Europe let themselves be hostage to. And we've got a global energy shortage, so it doesn't matter. It's worldwide. Same goes for grain, albeit to a lesser extent. We desperately want Ukraine to win the war decisively, but that's... It's becoming less likely, seemingly by the day. Russia's now waging a brutal battle of attrition. Unfortunately, they've got more men and more munitions than Ukraine could ever have. Our government and our allies in Europe have been supplying Ukraine with some much-needed weapons, but it's the summer now. What happens when winter comes along and Western Europe needs Russian fuel to keep the heat on? Maybe I'm a cynic, but I don't see them sacrificing their economic well-being for the sake of Ukrainian democracy. In fact, I think of all these visits and conversations between Western leaders and President Zelensky are about prepping him, maybe prepping him for some kind of negotiated settlement that ends up handing a decent-sized chunk of Ukraine to Russia. I'm not necessarily saying it'll be Munich all over again. When France and Britain met with Hitler to solve the Sudetenland problem, they end up giving away the most defensible part of Czechoslovakia to Germany without even letting the Czech president in the room. Of course, Hitler then turned around and annexed the entire country. Munich is what's led, what led to the now pathetic peace in our time statement from Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain when he arrived back in Britain after selling out one of his allies. What happens if history repeats itself? Ukraine probably won't get the full Munich treatment, 
But I wouldn't be surprised if Zelensky's allies strong arm him into a deal where he surrenders the eastern part of the country to Russia. Remember, the price of Ukrainian independence is $110 oil, sky-high bread prices. I think it's worth the cost. But I'm not confident France or Germany are willing to pay it. Peace in our time 2.0 would be a travesty for the people of Ukraine. It is morally indefensible, true appeasement. But it would also be great news for the stock market, which desperately wants peace at any price. Second potential positive for the stocks, China. The Chinese government's zero-COVID policy keeps swaths, vast swaths of the country in a lockdown. And this has been a disaster for the global economy. China's only taking these draconian measures because they refuse to embrace Western-developed mRNA vaccines and assist them using their less effective homegrown ones. Imagine what would happen if President Xi finally gives the thumbs up to the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine that was just approved for kids over six months today. That could easily take future lockdowns off the table. China would start making stuff, buying stuff again, helping American businesses tremendously. More importantly, these lockdowns have wrecked the Chinese economy, and the ruling Communist Party cares about economic development above all else. Even Chairman Mao got sidelined for the better part of a decade after his Great Leap Forward turned to the Great Leap Backward. In short, President Xi can't keep locking things down forever, or else he'll end up sidelined too. Could both of these positive surprises happen? I think they're certainly in the realm of the possibility. They would put paid to the bear market that's been crushing us for more than 200 days now. When our go-to market historian, Larry Williams, tells us the average bear market since 1949 has only lasted for 193 days. We're seven days over. I'd say good news for stocks on either front would be right on time here. I'm not saying either scenario is inevitable, but they're both very real possibilities that you need to consider when you're picking stocks for your portfolio. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.